Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning. Um, well, you know, I, I, I started this way last night. We're going to start again this morning. This is a little bit different than we normally do, but maybe we're going to shake it off a little bit. I'm going to ask you to move a tiny, tiny bit. So who here has ever been lied to? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Aiming up here. Agreeing already, man. All right. Who here has had something said to them about someone else? Okay. Who here has lied? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now. Uh, <laughs> who has been maybe caught up in some gossip or caught up? Uh, yeah, maybe you were intentional, just started happening and it snowballed and you're talking about somebody's grandma for some reason. Anybody? Maybe not grandma, but you know what I mean. Um, well, we've all been ex- uh, uh, just affected by speech in our life. We've all been caught off guard. We We've been lied to, we've, we've lied, we've been manipulated, maybe we were the ones that manipulated, we've made fun of, um, we've been made fun of, cussed, cursed, all those things. And today, we are going to be looking at James 3, and to be talking about how uh, really communication has a lot to do with godly relationships, no matter what kind of relationship we're talking about. And so that's why the, the, the sermon's title is, is called Pants on Fire. We all know that singy, songy, chant, liar, liar, pants on fire, um, and it makes me really think about another phrase we grew up saying, which is, you're going to do this with me, sticks and stones may, but words will never hurt me, which obviously is the direct opposite, right? Words will always hurt. They will always. We can act like, we can do the whole, I thought about the other night, like the the, the other phrase that we used to say, who used to, I'm rubber, you're glue, rubber bounces off to me and sticks to you. Do you remember that phrase? Is that a northern thing? I don't know. Well, okay. Write it down. Right, that's your first note of the day, right? Rubber, I'm rubber, you're glue. Um, but words will hurt us. They'll destroy us. They will carry on. And just ask the, the daughter that has been told something by their dad years and years ago and how it affects her psyche even today. Ask um, someone that has been made fun of at school who, uh, whether for wearing the wrong clothes or for, for what, the way they look and how that affects them today when they go into a new situation like, I hope they accept me, that stems from like a fourth grade encounter. Um, the, as years go by, those things are just ringing in our heads. You know, on second thought, just think... Um, has anyone ever heard you're not good enough, you're, uh, you're never going to make it anywhere? Um, maybe it was like you got fired from a job and be like, you're not competent, you'll never have a good job, whatever, all of those things. If you have heard any one of those things, if you're one of those people, a lot of us are, I guarantee you can remember specifically the scenario. It'll take you right back. Uh, yeah, I remember when I, somebody called me out for something that wasn't even my fault. I was in sixth grade English class, and this happened, and this happened. You have a specific memory of how that went down. They're tied to our memories. 
Um, if you've been told those, those things, I guarantee you can recall it very, very easily. So we're going to look at James 3. It's going to be up out here on the screens. James 3, 3 through 8 right now. And it says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Man, James gets <laughs> pretty aggressive there, right? He's like, it's a poisonous, it's, and it's like very descriptive. You're like, James, okay, we get, we get it. The tongue is, is, can be bad. He gets very specific, but our mouths can light fires. And maybe we, um, we, think, uh, we think we're over something. Somebody started that fire, and we think we're over it. All it takes is something to stoke that fire. Uh, we hear this word all the time, I was triggered. But really, we can be triggered to remember something that happened. And it stokes that fire just a little bit, just like a campfire. You know, when you burn a fire for so long, it has those coals on the bottom, the fire's out. But you can get that fire going real quick, but just by some extra heat or extra air that can happen in our lives. Those coals will just reignite something. We can, we can hear those words again that say, I'm unworthy. Whatever that thing was, it'll just come back to our minds. And uh, so this is a little bit of a, a funny story, but I'm going to share it anyway. I, um, so I was in love with this girl sophomore year of high school, you know, love, I'll put that in quotation marks, um, or what I thought love was, and I thought, like, we were, I was pursuing her, we were talking, and I thought we were going to date, we were, like, very close in the spring, and so, really close, and then she moved away for the summer just to stay with her grandparents, so she moved to Kentucky, and, like, you know, I sent her some letters, some cards, whatever. Uh, When she came back, I was like, it's on. I'm going to have a girlfriend, a junior year, take her to prom, all those things. Like, you know, you just play it out. Came back. She was just uninterested. I don't know. She, she must have found a Kentucky boy or something. I don't know. But was not interested whatsoever. But I still pursued. I was, like, trying to pursue. I really liked her. Um, so <laughs> I went to her work. I went to her job, which is just funny. I was thinking about this last night. Like, really? I went to her place of employment. With a rose, uh, she worked at a place that's like JCPenney. It's a department store. And she worked the, the perfume and um, cologne section. I walked in, and I <laughs> was like, she wasn't even at the counter. I, so I talked to somebody else. I was like, hey, is Amber here? And they, like, looked at me. I'll never forget that look. Like, yeah, she's here. Like, who is this guy? Obviously with a rose in his hand. And so they went and got her, and she came out. And I was like, listen. Amber was her name. 
like, Amber, I, I've just been thinking about it, and I really want you to be my girlfriend. I love you. And I gave her a rose. She took the rose and looked at me and went, thank you. I have to go back to work now. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Like, tried to play it off like, all right, that's, yeah, that went well. No, it did not go well. That's not the result you uh, look for in that situation. And it's funny, and why that was, <laughs> why it was brought to my attention, um, she, she's awesome. We're still, we're still friends. Uh, she lives in Arizona. She's married, has some great kids, and, um, but she posted on Facebook the other day, and it was like a re- repost of like a big picture, and it said, tell me, like one of those things, and it said, <laughs> tell me what's the funniest thing you've heard when you said I love you, and she tagged me in it and was like, what do you got, Cody Davenport? And I was like, Really? All right. So, yes, it's a funny story, and it took me a while to get over that. Literally, I was like, I didn't want to share my feelings with somebody. But I remember every instance of that night, and I was a sophomore in high school, and I'm not hurt by it anymore. But I still remember, like, what I was driving, what I was wearing. I was all into Hollister at that time. So, (laughs) yeah, from Ohio, loved Hollister. Makes a lot of sense. Let's hit the beach, Lake Erie. Um, so anyway, but those emotional things, they carry over. They, they go on more than even physical pain. Actually, I was reading psychology today, and this is straight out of it. I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. And it says, our memories can literally trigger emotional pain, but not physical pain. Recalling the time you broke your leg will not make your leg hurt, but recalling the time you were told something by your high school crush will cause you substantial emotional pain. Our ability to evoke emotional pain by simply remembering what was said is profound and stands in stark contrast to our total inability to re-experience physical pain. It's true. If you broke your arm, you don't, like if you think about, oh, I broke my arm, you don't re-hurt your arm. Your arm doesn't hurt. But if you think about the, the chaos in life that has come from emotional abuse, or something that happened, you feel that again. Maybe it's not as severe, but you feel that. You get those feelings back. It can affect you. And I didn't even mention this last night, but that article went on and said, what is worse? And obviously, physical pain can be so bad. But they said it's very interesting that when, when you have physical pain, you don't turn to emotional abuse to help physical pain. You turn to, uh, when you have emotional, emotional pain, you turn to physical abuse. You start, you, people start cutting themselves to, to feel something else, to get away from that pain. So in a different way, emotional pain almost seems worse than physical pain because you're trying to escape it by using physical pain as a way. It's a crazy thing, but we are in charge of our tongues. And... We can affect people's lives by the way we speak, how we speak, and what we are saying. James says the tongue is so powerful, it's like the rudder of a ship, which controls the whole thing. And so we've talked about the negative a little bit, just just starting off. But the rudder of a ship also does good things. Fire can do good things if it's controlled and used in a direct way. The rudder can steer a ship out of a storm. A fire can cook food, can craft material that we need, whatever. So we can use our tongue for good things. We can speak life. We can uplift. We can encourage. 
And that's what, what James is saying. Use your tongue in the best way. In Ephesians 4, it says, speak truth in love. I'm not saying just to walk around and all smiles all the time and act like nothing affects us to, hey, hey, hey. But we need to continually speak truth in love and, that, and continually stand up for ourselves. There was a guy named Sean Kuntz when I was a counselor at a um, camp for a summer who directly changed my life fully in one encounter. He was there for like four days. Um, I don't even, I haven't spoke to him in 20 years. He was a missionary to, to Africa. We had very little uh, conversation, but at the end, we all thought it was cool. I, was, I think I was 20, and he was like 28-ish, so we all thought it was cool. And he was walking down saying goodbye to all the counselors, and he was just, saying, just encouraging people, like, hey, you're good at this, keep going. And I remember specifically he stopped at me, and it, to me, at least to me, it seemed completely different than all the other people. And he stopped, and he said, stop running. God wants to use you in huge ways. All you have to do is give up. Stop running, stop running and give in. And it was like all the other people were like, hey, you're really good at this. Continue that. And I was, <laughs> said to me, stop. <laughs> and I remember like I was in the midst of a big change of life. I thought I might transfer schools. I was like teetering on that. And as soon as he said that, I started crying, which was very odd. And it really helped change the course of my life. I transferred schools. I went into ministry. All these things. I'm not saying he directly did that, but he spoke truth to me that maybe he didn't even know what he was doing. Maybe he wasn't even sure, but he knew he could tell that I was like maybe hiding who I was just with humor because that's what I do a lot. Uh, maybe he was <laughs> spoken to by the Holy Spirit to tell me something. I don't know. But he helped influence my life in those four short days and in that moment just by being kind and speaking truth into my life. I don't even know that guy. I know his name because of what he said. I haven't talked to him in 20 years. We have that ability, all of us in this room, to use our tongue to build, uplift, tell the truth. Every day we can do that. Our tongues can be used for good and for bad. There will be arguments in your life. There will be times where you have fights. There will be times where you say the worst thing possible. I'm not saying you can be perfect, but you need to continually think about what you're saying. You're, it, it's really easy to get into arguments, and uh, it just heightens one after another. It keeps building. It's really easy to throw insults out and be just to try to insult and win. You can th I'm really good at being very salty and being almost underhanded to try to win a conversation. I'm not, again, I'm not telling you to back off the truth. I'm just trying to tell you that Scripture says tell the truth in love. Talk about it how you, in the way that you want to be treated. Maybe you need to think about what gossip is. Gossip is something that I think is prevalent in church society, in church life, because it's prevalent in our life. Gossip isn't even bad in real world. It's not even considered. Think about it. It's, gossip is a commodity. It's bought and sold every day. There's a whole channel. There's that whole, you know, the entertainment news. That's all gossip. That's all it is. Like, oh, Tom Cruise bought a new car. Here he is. Like, why? 
but it's encouraged. So in church, it's <laughs> raising our hands and, and giving a uh, prayer request for certain things. And then you know when it crosses the line. We've all been there. Like you have the juicy details. Like my neighbor is this. You could have just said my neighbor is struggling with, with cancer. Can we pray for it? Instead, you go farther and like she also has a rebellious daughter and she's doing drugs and blah, 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 blah. There's no need. We can stop that talk. And I'm telling you right now, the way we use our tongues matters. Communication makes or breaks those, those, those relationships. It really does. There's no way around it. Most issues in a relationship boil down to um, communication issues. Almost every issue. Sometimes there's a lack of communication. Sometimes it's just in the way we spoke. Um, I know there's a picture back here, and it has okay on it. I want to look at it when they put it up. Do you see that? It's just a white picture. It's, yes. So these guys, they're saying the same thing, right? Okay, 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 okay. This one is the only one that's, like, you're in the clear if you type that. This one's iffy if you type it. The one with the period, you're, you're getting in, you're kind of, hey, okay, okay. The one with the okay sign, you're not going to have a girlfriend anymore if you text that. I'm just telling you, there's ways to communicate that matter. You have to be aware of those things. And if that's how we communicate with anything deeper, it gets lost in the, the, the transition, it's really hard, especially with text, it's really hard to know where those people are coming from. So with communication, or without communication, we have unmet expectations. We all have different expectations for our relationships. When we look at an employee and an employer, if you don't communicate as the manager to the people that work for you what exactly they need to do, you're setting them up for failure you're setting yourself up to be frustrated. If you don't tell them specifically, here's what you need to do, this is what I expect out of you, and then get mad at that person when they don't do those things and you haven't told them, who's at fault? The manager, not your employee. Now, if that employee, sit down and say, this is what I expect, here's how you do it, and then they don't do it, that's a different story. That is telling them what you expect and they didn't do it. But if you don't correct the way that you speak to your employees and lay out things and explain your expectations, they will quit or you will fire them. They won't respect you because you didn't communicate efficiently. In friendships, friendships are ruined by different types of communication. We might all have a friend that communicates maybe once or twice a month, and they're a really good friend. That's how we communicate. Like, oh, man, he's my really good friend. But we don't talk that often, but we're really good friends. There might be somebody else in your life who expects a phone call or a text every single day, or you're not even an acquaintance to them because that's how they talk to each other. That's how they expect you to talk. And I said this yesterday that uh, when, we, when people grow up with groups of friends, like they have a friends, old friends, they grew up together, and so they know how they communicate really well, and they know the ins and outs. But if you try to go get a friend now as a grown-up, you kind of have to have those conversations of like, hey, do you, do, should we hang out every day? Should we, should we, like, how do you want me, do you want to text or do you want to call? There's like different things. And those are weird conversations. But if you have those conversations, you will have closer friends. Because you're assuming something of them, and they're assuming something of you. And if you don't talk about it, 
that they're just going to you're going to give up on each other. In romantic relationships, unmet expectations, man, I'm telling you, I've done a lot of uh, counseling, marriage counseling, and I, at least 80% of issues in a marriage is communication. Either how it's communicated, like I just don't like how he talks to me or she talks to me, or no communications. We have stopped communicating effectively and just gave in too efficiently. Like those text messages, those are, it was a funny joke, but um, even if you've been married for a long time and you send a text that's abnormal, it's going to be read as, what is, are they mad? Did I do something? Is something wrong? Like they're real, and maybe it was just that you were making a turn and texting at the same time, like literally, but it can cause an argument. Unmet expectations are a big deal in marriage, in even dating life, if you haven't had those conversations. I was in one, one of my favorite things to do is uh, have the man and wife, or, or, if they're, or, if, or if they're dating, just the couple, talk about three things they wish were different in the relationship, or just different in general, and then have their partner repeat it back to them. And so <laughs> I was in one, and... I'm not going to lie, this is the closest I ever came to laughing in a counseling session because it was so blatant. I was like, oh. Um, and it, he, worked a long, he worked a night shift, and he said, like, I would like to come home and be able to sleep in the next morning because I get home at 3. Or, or if I work a long shift, I'll come home and just give me like 10 to 15 minutes, maybe if I can get a shower, and then I'll come out and help with the kids. Um, and then Saturday's my only day off. If we could just do something low-key, and not just plan to go kayaking at 6 in the morning. So those are just things. Those are just three things. And I said, okay, what did he say? And she said, he said that he doesn't want to hang out with my family and just wants to sleep all day. And I said, that was what I meant by almost, la- I, went, I almost like, caught myself. And I was like, ah, oh, no, that's not, that's not what he said. That's, what did he actually say? And it took a couple times for her to repeat actually what he said. Because, but here's the thing, he's not in the clear. They've had terrible communication. So she is jumping to the conclusion, this is why he's not communicating. Because he doesn't want to, this is why he's not sleeping, or this is why he's sleeping. Because he doesn't want to hang out with us. Instead of saying, hey, why do you want to sleep? Obviously, I got home at 3 in the morning. I'm tired. That, con- that conversation hadn't happened. That's what happens when there's a breakdown in communication. And it's funny. I was, I was like, oh, oh, can you repeat what you said? Let's, let's do this again. But unmet expectations cause so many issues. Parents, you have to communicate with your kids and tell them what you expect. I'll just use cleaning your room. If you don't teach your kid how to clean their room or tell them what to do, and then you say, go clean your room, don't be mad when their room's not clean. When you're like, why is there stuff here? Oh, I picked up, I thought... Like, literally, I had to learn that with, with a five-year-old and be like, go clean your room. And he would, they would, he would just click, clean up the stuff that was on the floor and, like, put it on a shelf. And I was like, yeah, the floor is clean, but you have a Doritos bag right here. And it was like, so I have to teach them. If you tell them to go clean the bathroom, they've, they've never cleaned a bathroom before. You have to show them. And if you don't, and then you get mad... I promise your kids will shut down because they'll just think you're unreasonable. You told me what to do. I did my version of it, and now you're mad. If you continue that progression, it's going to turn into 
I'm not good enough for what my dad says. That sounds harsh, but if you continue that pattern of, why didn't you do what I said? I did do what you said. I cleaned my room, but not to the degree that he said because you never laid out what your expectation was. You have to do that. They will shut down continually. Also, this just needs to be said. Parents, it's okay to be vulnerable with your children. It's okay to apologize to your kids. When you do that, they realize that you don't have to be perfect in life. They'll love you for who you are, and I promise your kids will be the first ones to forgive you. They'll be like, it's okay. And they're, they're being honest. They're like, it's okay. Apologize for losing your cool. Apologize for raising your voice too quick and be like, I'm sorry I got so frustrated. That's okay to say to your kids. I think we've bought into the narrative that that's not okay, especially with men. Like, you're not supposed to be vulnerable, especially with your kids. Like, I, you see those in, like, westerns and stuff. Like, my dad never said I love you. That's why I'm a man. I'm like, okay. That's probably why you are, have emotional issues. Like, it's sad, but we've bought into that narrative a little bit. And I'm telling you, when we let our guard down with our children, when we let them in, I'm, I'm not saying to let them know everything. There's some things that kids don't need to know. But letting them know that you're sorry, that you're struggling, that, you know, it's okay to cry sometimes when something rough happens in life. When something's sad, you're allowed to feel sad. Just don't stay there. Like teaching your kids, it's okay to feel feelings just don't dwell on those feelings. Don't just stay there. And when you say sorry, when you open yourself up, first of all, it shows grace. It shows the gospel to your kid like nothing else. They see it in action. They see that how, oh, okay, if I, I'm offering forgiveness to my dad, this is the same way that Jesus does this for us. Also, it sets you up for those future conversations the conversations when your daughter comes home and was dumped by a loser. She'll want to talk to you about it. But if you don't set yourself up that way right now, she's not going to talk to you about it. She'll, she'll follow suit and say, it's fine. Everything's fine. They don't want to talk to you. You're the unreasonable one who never has an issue. Everything's fine. I'm a man. Set yourself up. Have those conversations. Ask questions. Ask questions not just about school. Ask about how they're doing emotionally. Ask them, ask them about um, not just what, they, what kind of uncrustable they had at lunch today, but ask them about what they see God doing at school in their friends. Ask them what they want to do with their life and how, what do you think Jesus would think of that? And you think, you know, Cody, I've never done that. It would be weird. That sounds really strange. So it's never too early, never too late to start. Just start asking, like, what do you think God thinks of that? And not in a condemning way. Don't, don't, don't start doing that when they mess up. What do you think God thinks of that? I'm saying in every day, what do you think God would say about your day today? Is there anything that you said, man, he would probably be like, oh, you probably shouldn't talk to your friends that way. Or he'd be really excited that I shared, that I invited somebody to church today. Those conversations, have those conversations that are deeper than the everyday, you swing on swings today, cool. Like, have deeper conversations. How we speak matters. If you haven't heard that, I continually say that. How we speak matters. In Proverbs 15, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of the fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perversiveness is the, is in it breaks the spirit. Not just what we communicate matters, but how we communicate. I just encourage you to think about this passage from Proverbs. Every time you get frustrated with each other, even if you're in an argument, if one of you can keep your cool without escalating, typically it won't escalate farther because usually it builds off of each other. You know what I'm saying. You see it in movies. You see it maybe in your own life where somebody says something and then they bring their mom into it and they're like, oh, you're going to talk about my mom. I'm going to talk about your dad. You know, it just escalates, escalates. But if one person can be like, hey, I'm not talking about that. I'm trying to talk about this. We need to talk about this issue. Typically, you can ease the tension and have those conversations. We need to stop using words as weapons and view that person of how we want to be treated the same way. Be gentle, be kind, and remember who you are speaking to. Remember that this is, I'm talking about those, those relationships. An employer, your friend, a parent or a child, or your partner in this life. Remember who you are talking to and just quit trying to win that argument. That's for me. Like sometimes you just want to win and it's like, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to drop napalm right now so I can walk away. That's not the goal. If you want to have a successful relationship, friendship, parent, a mother-daughter relationship, father-son relationship, whatever it is, if you're just trying to win, it's not going to end well. Lies burn lives. Blake talked about trust last week and what it does when we aren't trusting in a relationship. It, it pretty much just starts to erode that relationship away. And not just a romantic relationship, any relationship. I mean, I feel like we all know, we're sitting here, we all know that we shouldn't lie, but we start to maybe justify things a little bit. We start to, um, maybe, maybe we're not, like, we're not, we're not liars. We just don't tell the whole truth. We keep back a little bit of it, and we justify it, like, so I don't hurt people's feelings, or because it's just easier to handle, and we start to justify that. But I'm telling you, lies are, are like a boomerang. They come back around, and they will bite you. And then when they come back around, and if you are doubling down, you're going to multiply the lie because you have to lie to keep that lie going. And it spreads, and it keeps going. And sadly, when you lie and then it comes back, and then you lie again, and you have to like lie a couple times. You're not just saying a lie. Now you are a liar. And there's a difference. There's a difference. You are considered a liar. Lying is a nuke in our relationships. It blows up everything, especially when you're caught in it. And again, this goes for all relationships. Try working a job after being caught in a lie by your boss. Like, that's not awkward at all. You know, sorry, I know I lied about not being able to work, but then you saw me at Dairy Queen or something. I don't know why I picked Dairy Queen. That was weird. 
I like their dipped cones. Pretty good. Um, it's going to be really hard to keep that job. Mainly because I think, I think the employer probably has already like, okay, because they've probably been lied to so much. But you just kind of feel awkward. Like around that boss, you're like, huh, he knows I lied. Uh, you probably won't last that long. Um, or, or if you get caught in a lie by a, a friend, you, you'll probably be able to still be friends, but they're not going to trust you. You have to earn your way back into that. They're not going to be the person that confides in you anymore. They're not going to tell you their secrets. Even if, you did, even if you were trustworthy, you were the guy that could keep any secret, if you're caught in a lie with them, they're not going to trust you anymore. You're that person to them for at least a little bit. A child to a parent? Anybody been there? That is so frustrating as a parent. You're like, you're, you catch them and they're like, yeah, no, these marsh. I don't know where these marshmallows are in my bed. I have no idea. They, I think somebody put them in here. Did you? I think you put them in here. I know where you got this thing at. Just tell me you brought it in here. Stop lying. The penalty will be worse if you continue to lie over and over again. That's frustrating. And it makes you not trust your kids or it makes you, like, go through their stuff. Like, where's the marshmallows? Um, it's just not fun. Just own it, and then, and then you can get past it. But I think we all know that lying in a romantic relationship is one of the hardest things to get past. You've been betrayed or you betrayed, and uh, now you have to forgive or earn your way back. But I'll tell you right now, Owning a lie uh, is like starting a fire and then putting it out yourself. There's some damage. Obviously, you lied, but you're owning it. But if you don't own it, it's like lighting a fire and walking away. And it can be the smallest thing. It can be, I'm at this store, and then they find out you were somewhere else. And it was just easier in that conversation for some reason. But then they're like, why did you lie about something so simple? Why? How much are you lying? What are you lying about now? In a relationship where you guys are one, or even just a dating relationship, it makes you question everything they have done. In both of those scenarios, the fire gets extinguished, but the damage is so much more severe when you're found out. James even says in verse 6, it's, it's a fire setting things ablaze. And he uses the words, it will burn the course of life. And he's talking about generations there. That's what he's saying. That it doesn't just burn your relationship. It burns the next, relation, the, the next generation, your kids, and maybe your kids' kids. And that's a weird thing to say, but we all have that family member in our family tree that's like, hey, don't go. Don't trust, don't trust Uncle Rick. He's, he's, he's a shyster. And maybe he only did one thing one time, but it was to your grandma. I don't know, but he's labeled that way for generations because he messed up, because he did that one thing. It will go through your generations, is what James says, and it will do damage. The tongue can do damage. Church, we have to wake up to, to see the way that we treat others with our speech. Sometimes we think we have a free pass sometimes because we get to say the truth, and we always leave off with love part. We have to consider how we use our tongue. We're made to uplift, to comfort, to speak truth with love. We need to stop manipulating, stop the gossip. 
All that does is destroy the church. All That's all it does. The enemy can't have us, so he's going to try to destroy us from within. And he will say secrets. He will start with the most minuscule thing to get people to leave churches. I guarantee there's, there's a church right now that's struggling because, oh, old, old Betty is using the New King James Version. Oh, I can't believe that. Like, literally. There's a church that's probably struggling with that right now. They're angry that, that the gossip started. Like, I don't She's, re- she's reading the wrong type. Oh, she's doing that devotional? Oh, my goodness. And there could be, like, honestly, there could be, like, maybe she's, maybe she's reading the Book of Mormon, and she's like, I don't even know. I was reading the Book of Mormon. The, the, what Scripture says to lay out is go and talk to that person. There's literally a process to handle that. Go and speak to that person. But we default a lot to talking with ourselves, and maybe eventually one of our elected persons will go and confront that person. Do you realize that? Like they have a team. Hey, and we make it sound so spiritual. Hey, pray for me. I'm going to go do this thing. No, just go and talk to the person. If you're truly concerned about that person's soul and how they're living for Christ, go and make the effort. But that's how the enemy works. He wants us all on different pages. He wants us all working against each other. And finally, God knows you're lying. We all have mess-ups. We all have sinned. We all have lied. We've all been hypocrites. But here's what's the most challenging to me today. It might not be for you guys, but the most challenging for me is this. And it's the end of, the, end of that section of James 3. It says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile of the sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth, or pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. James speaks about how the mouth is used to bless God and curse men, and it shouldn't be that way. Leaders, we are all guilty of this. All of us, every single one of us. I mean, you could be guilty of it today. Saying one thing and doing the opposite. But one specific way that, I was, that I've been convicted of is when we sing worship songs sometimes. I think there are a number of times when I have to change the intention of my heart when I'm singing these songs to make them match up, and I think God hears that because I say, God, make this is not how I feel right now at all. Change my heart. Change the way I feel right now. Make this so, and I truly think that God hears that as a prayer and says, you know, he wants this. He's asking for this. But on the flip side, I think there have been times in my life where I'm singing full tilt, full on, like raising my hands with no tangible truth behind it. Holy, there is no one like you. Open up my eyes in wonder. 
And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And then I leave and do nothing. I say, God, I'm going to build my life on your, on your solid foundation. You're all I want. You're the best thing ever. And then in my life, I live like how I want to. And I know that as I sing that song. I'm not changing anything about my life. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. These songs are absolutely true. Don't, get, don't misunderstand. These songs are full of truth. They are completely filled with it. But when we sing these words, and we're in it, and nothing in our life changes, there's a disconnect. When we sing these words, that there's nothing better than you, and then we leave and continually choose everything else besides Christ in our life, there's a disconnect. So this morning, maybe, maybe that's what needs to change. Maybe there is a, maybe an apology. Maybe you need to make an apology just to God saying, you know, God, I'm sorry for not really following up with what I'm saying. Maybe there needs to be uh, a switch in how we live our life because we don't know, I don't know what, uh, how, how you're living out, outside of these walls, t- typically. Blake doesn't know. John is really just excited that you're singing songs. And we're excited. We, wanna, we want you to sing. But I'm just, I'm just asking you to maybe identify in your heart, there needs to be a different in way in how you, how the intention of it is. Because maybe you need to sing these songs and be like, God, this is not where I am, and I don't know why. I'm not talking about the person that comes in questioning, even if they believe God. I don't even know if God exists, but I'm here. I'll sing these songs and listen to this message. I'm talking to the Christians here who profess Christ, who believe in him, who come in and sing songs, hands lifted high, God, you're my everything, I love you, I'm doing anything, I I pick you first, and then go and do whatever is fun in the moment and choose themselves over God at every impasse. That's what I'm talking about which is me sometimes. (laughs) I'm not saying that. It happens. And so I need to think about what I'm saying and what what my tongue is is singing and maybe change the, the intonation of my heart. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in this place. And we're going to sing some songs. And I want you to think about how you are singing, who you are singing to Again, don't misunderstand me. Keep singing these songs. These songs are to elevate God in our life and to continually put him above us. That, God, you are better. That I choose you as my foundation. I choose you instead of my foundation because it is a way better place to build my life. And make that a prayer if that's what you need to do. Change your life. Start with how you sing, how you talk, how you whisper. Start there. 
Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.